listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. So where are you girls from? Chaska, Lesueur, but I went to high school in White Bear Lake. Go Bears. Okay. I want you to tell me what these fellas look like. Well, the little guy, he was kind of funny looking. In what way? I don't know, just funny looking. Can you be any more specific? I couldn't really say. He wasn't circumcised. Was he funny looking apart from that? Yeah. So, you were having sex with a little fella then? Uh-huh. Is there anything else you can tell me about him? No. Like I say, he was funny looking. More than most people, even. What about the other fella? He was a little older. You know, he looked like the Marlboro Man. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But maybe I'm saying that, you know, because he smoked a lot of Marlboros. Uh-huh. You know, like a subconscious type of thing. Oh, yeah, that can happen. Yeah. Hey, they said they were going to the Twin Cities. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, is that useful to you? Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. Maybe Malice at the Palace was a good thing. We need more Malice at the Palace because these fans won't stop doing this crazy. Facts. Big facts. We they, need to restore the feeling. What we happened? Need, uh, somebody threw a bottle at Kyrie as they were walking off the floor. Of course. And Kyrie was going crazy tonight. They were they were going, fuck you, Kyrie. He just kept scoring. And it 37 and ugly. 9 or something like that? 9 rebounds? Very ugly. That maybe at some point I'd be like, you know what? Maybe we don't chat anymore about that guy. Like, you know what's funny just... is that like all those like people, anyone, it doesn't matter where, Boston, anywhere, they they would throw something at Kyrie. Kyrie would come up to you. Kyrie's six foot three. Like he's like he he's just, not a small dude. He's, he's just all of a, he's all of a sudden <laughs> taller than anything that you could ever imagine. You're like, oh shit, he's a pro athlete. <laughs> Welcome to the One Take Podcast, episode 66, a Fargo, special edition Fargo review, uh, a classic review. We don't do very many classic films on this podcast, but uh, we're feeling spicy. We're feeling great about this one. Um, so excited. We are joined by Paul Catalina from Sikkim 365. We've had Paul on. It's been a while since uh, since you came on, Paul. How you doing? Uh, apparently, your air conditioning is broken, so that's... Yeah. The, great. The good news, yeah, I'm upstairs in my office and it has a separate unit. So oh. down downstairs, a holiday weekend is the best time <laughs> because you have to pay time and a half to get somebody to come out. And then, you know, to get it fixed under your warranty, you have to wait. So it's mm-hmm. it's lovely to do it. But I'm doing great. Uh, I actually, I'm just full disclosure. I kind of asked onto this one because Fargo is a go-to movie for me. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like, if I'm like that, like if I'm in a certain kind of mood, like Fargo is the movie, you know, uh, I'm, I'm fast. I love the television series that they've kind of spun off of it in a, it's very own unique way, but the movie Fargo, I think is, is it's, it's the Coen brothers opus and they've done a lot of good ones. And I mm-hmm. think, but I think Fargo is their true. Like, even if you want to say no country for old men or, you know, anything else, blood simple, but like Fargo is their absolute, just perfect. perfect. I mean, it's, Thing. it's in the uh library of congress for a reason yeah. so like yeah. yeah but dex you wanted to do this film why did, did you have a specific reason that you wanted to do this all of a sudden 
I saw that it was on Amazon Prime and then it was off Amazon Prime for whatever reason for like a week and now it's back. I don't I don't know, but I saw it was on Amazon Prime and I was like, Fargo is fucking awesome. Let's talk about Fargo. I those accents will stick with me for the rest of my life. We made jokes about those accents we'll literally every day in college after I watched this movie for the first time. I watched this movie like my freshman year of college for the first time and I was like shit is awesome. It's just hilarious for for no real reason there's no reason for it to be as funny as it is like there's no jokes or anything they're just like from minnesota and people die in funny ways like that's the funny part so yeah i just this movie's just awesome we need to talk about more awesome movies is this the most cohen brothers movie of all time uh either that or the big lebowski I would argue Raising Arizona, but we can get into okay, it. Okay, that's a really good, that's that's true. Raising uh, Arizona is is the Fargo of of that part of Arizona. Wait, <laughs> is that movie actually in Arizona? I don't yeah, know. it is. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Uh, that's the Fargo of Arizona. Tej is uh, wearing just a loser shirt. Uh, so we'll we'll, oh we'll go with God. that. He he swears that he swears that they will win the Big Twelve. This is not true. But other than your wrongness, Tej, how are you doing? How'd you find this um, movie? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm a big Coen Brothers fan. I have seen every single one of their films. Uh, I think my first Coen Brothers film was The Big Lebowski, but Fargo, I think, was the second. I watched The Big Lebowski. I uh, watched Fargo, I think, my freshman year of college as well. And I just immediately fell in love with it. I It's one of my favorite films of all time. And it's one of those movies that I can always put on and always enjoy. And it always brings me into the movie, even if I got something else going on. After the first the the first couple like sequence before you meet the cop, I just love the whole way that they set out the plot of that of the movie. I just fell in love with it. So you, that's how I found Fargo. You, it's funny that like both of you mentioned like I saw like I, you know I graduated college in two thousand two. I'm a lot older than all you guys, but uh, I remember like I watched it in college. You know, or, or right I guess when right after you know. So I was that like in my twenties, and it is Fargo is a movie to me that like. If you watch it, like, it's one of those things, like, if I watched it with a girl, you know, when I was, like, dating before my, you know, very committed, serious relationship that I'm in now, like, if I watch Fargo with a girl and she's like, I don't get it, I'd be like, get the fuck out. Like, that's, <laughs> not, that's not gonna, like, you're, it's not, like, that's it. It's not gonna work. Like, I know it. You're, you're not gonna, like, we're not gonna jive because you don't get, like, why this movie is so cool because, like, sometimes it, like, you know, like you tell me, oh, it's a crime drama. Oh, there's a lot, is there a lot of action? I'm like, oh, there's like, like two whole minutes of action in the movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, it's a comedy. Like, oh, are there jokes? Like, no, it's just <laughs> funny though. And like, and then like you try to like, just the characters are so well written. It's like if you see it and you get it, you go, oh man, this was just like you're just engrossed in the movie, you know? And uh, yeah, so the, like I judge people on the like, oh, I get Fargo, I don't get Fargo. Like, yeah. okay, you don't get Fargo. Like, listen, just go off to your people and I'll like <laughs> us and the cool people will hang out together. Go, be free, be free. <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, not to like age you or anything, but I had to watch this movie for college. Yeah. So <laughs> there's that, but the, the, this movie is absolutely instant classic. I think Roger Ebert called it his favorite movie of all time back when he reviewed it. So let's uh, let me get into uh, that sort of section of the podcast really quickly. Fargo, a 1996 film. If you Google Fargo, uh, careful because the TV series, which is also great in its own right, just shockingly, uh, has uh, 
will come up first. But Fargo, 1996. It's rated R, obviously. It is only an hour and 38 minutes long, which I found to be shocking because so much, and I also said so little happens in this movie at the same time. It's so hard to describe. That's so Um, true. Literally, you could describe what happens in two seconds, but also so much happens. Yeah. Yeah uh 8.1 on imdb uh jerry uh lundegaard's inept crime falls uh falls apart due to his and his henchmen's bungling and the persistent police work of the quiet pregnant marge gunderson all great names it was uh it says in the credits only directed by was it ethan or by joel cohen uh written and directed yeah, written and directed by Joel Cohen. He's uncredited. Ethan Cohen's uncredited because why wouldn't he also direct this movie? But um, <laughs> it stars William H. Macy, Francis McDormand, Steve Buscemi, uh, Peter Stormare, and a cast of other character actors. It, it has an 85 meta score on Metacritic. It won two Oscars. It is rated the number 174 movie of all time on Metacritic. One for Francis McDormand. And uh, best writing a a screenplay, Ethan and Joel Cohen. uh, They were nominated for best picture. William H. Macy was nominated for supporting actor. Joel Cohen, uh, director. Roger Deakins actually did the cinematography, which makes a lot of sense. Um, And uh, that makes so much sense. Another 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 one of his Oscars that he didn't win. And uh, best film editing (laughs) for both uh, Ethan and Joel Cohen, which they went under the pseudonym Roderick James. They didn't <laughs> want to credit for e- editing. For editing? This. Yeah, I don't know. Um, this was part of this was part of the era of cinema where this was not, not made for a whole lot of money. Um, and of course, none of the Coen brothers films really ever are. But um, this was the sort of uh, people that grew up on VHS tapes and everything coming up in 90s cinema and uh making movies that were hits for very little minute uh very little money only made seven or only had a budget of seven million dollars surprisingly for as big of a hit as it is which this is also the case with big lebowski and some of the cohen's other work people have gone back to it over the time only made 60 million dollars yeah their movies don't really have like big even to, other than uh what is the george clooney one with all the songs that one Burn oh, after Rock Dow, which oh, yeah. is, other than There's... that one all of them are just kind of like they're coen brothers fans and those are the people who watch his movies yeah. it's not like yeah. they break past that wall but there's so many coen brothers fans that they could sustain a career just making movies for people that like their other movies yeah by the way fargo is my favorite coen brothers movie but i have an old brother where Thou poster up here on the wall uh, a man of constant sorrow is uh, a I mean, banger yeah, and and that, that that's because a, it just shows what a like they're different. Like every Coen Brothers movie is the same and different. Like they're all the same, but they're all different. Like the jokes exactly. are all like the way that they are the humor or like the like you know No Country for Old Men is dark as shit. I mean, mm-hmm. like there's no real there's no humor. humor in it in, <laughs> at all, unless you, like Woody Harrelson has one kind of funny scene in it. That's just because he's Woody, you know. And but Fargo works on such a level that it's just like. Like it, when I remember when it came out, like I remember seeing the previews going, I don't like, why would I want to see? Like I was 16 in 1996. I remember thinking like, 
what do I care about Fargo? And then like, it was one of those things, like everybody started like talking about it. And then a couple of years later, I'm in college, I'm sitting in the dorm and a buddy of mine was in a movie. He's like, Hey, let's watch Fargo. And he puts on Fargo. I was like, that's some of the best shit I've ever seen. Like, I was like, this is unbelievable, but yeah. And again, it's just, it's, it's magnificent in its simplicity. Definitely gave agency to a lot of elder millennials to be like, you haven't seen Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you don't listen to Bob Marley. Come on, I don't on, like man. the term elder millennial. Yeah. I don't like that term. I just want to. Well, I'm just down. letting you know. That's what it, I but it definitely gave. It, it definitely gave agency to a lot of people that like this was a film nerds thing because it didn't make a lot of money, but like yeah. it is held in such high regard. Uh, has 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, 93 audience score, violent, quirky, and darkly funny. Fargo delivers an original crime story and a wonderful performance by Frances McDormand. And I cannot agree enough. Uh, we have to talk about Frances McDormand in this. She is pitched absolute perfect queen. in this movie uh but absolute we'll, queen we'll start with a rating and review uh from our esteemed guest paul go ahead uh give it a letter grade oh this is an a plus i mean it's so uh, like give it a review can, yeah i mean it's it's an a plus i mean the, the the acting is is you don't uh one of the things about the acting in this movie is you don't feel like you're watching people pretend to be from minnesota or whatever like they just uh, a lot of times and i feel this and like we're all in texas so like like you like you if you know a movie of like clearly people from texas directed this movie when the accents are right you know but people from at like sometimes they're like friday night lights takes, takes place in tech like okay yeah friday night lights um yeah but like but you'll have people like that are doing texas accents that are just like i'm from texas and you're like come on man like you know what part of like that's you know but like this one like they went and like they clearly immersed themselves in listening to the accent and picking up on the little things. And I liked this movie even more after I a couple of years ago when the Super Bowl is in Minnesota. You know, we were doing our show there from the Mall of America every day on Radio Row, and because of uh, course we, we went to we went to a sushi restaurant on White Bear Lake, and it was <laughs> it was unbelievable. Uh, the sushi restaurant uh and but like when the we were asking the guy who was taking us he's like oh it's on white bear lake and like all i thought of as soon as he said white bear lake i was like i was like oh no that's big bear lake oh, there. No. <laughs> you know, like, kind of like that's the scene where he's like oh you know he's kind of funny looking and what kind of oh just kind of a general way just kind of, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> whoever that old man is he the timing of the comedy in that scene with the old man is just yeah the, amazing it's just so good yeah and and like the coen brothers find people like that like local people who look weird like you go through any movie like oh brother Rotha has some people that are certainly 1930s mississippi trash like that's what they look like that's their look now you know like and then you're in fargo and that's why it's an a to me is because like there are people like you go out to minneapolis minnesota and the twin cities and like you see people that's 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 who they are that's their look that's them like it was like going around and it was minus nine the whole time i was there and they were like oh it's not so bad it's just minus nine i was like oh my god you're fucking insane <laughs> like this is the seventh circle but yeah. they like it they like and then but like you you oh I a storm looks like there. a storm's coming huh oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you betcha yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh, sorry hey, to wade, you. hey wade what you watching gophers go you over know, <laughs> Yeah, I, it is the thing about the accents, though. I mean, obviously, it, it is pretty accurate, but it's a heightened version of yeah, whatever yeah. that is. But I yeah. think this movie spawned what we know as the Minnesota like 
impression. Yeah, it became for the sure. Truth. It became yeah. none of us have ever been to Fargo, well, except for Paul. And it became the truth. It became that's actually what it's like in that region of the country. We just accepted it because it, it felt real. Well, yeah. okay, here's sure. the other thing the movie's entitled Fargo. The very first scene of the movie's in Fargo, and none, none of the of rest it, of it. Yeah. None of the rest well, of it. Well, Brainerd doesn't sound like a good name for a movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Brainerd's a Brainerd. zombie flick. <laughs> I'm up from Brainerd. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> It doesn't work. It it is really interesting how the Coen brothers, like in most of their films, I mean Josh Brolin's movie star, good looking. Of course, Nicolas Cage is good looking in his own right, but he he looks crazy in in Raising Arizona. But like, really does. There's no movie star, good looking people in this movie. That it's just normal looking. Like Frances McDormand, of course. Say what you will about her, I, I think she's attractive in this film. But that being said, she just looks like you know an every woman sort of person it, it's there's no it's not burn after reading there's no george clooney's and brad pitt's yeah in sort of their early films you know what i mean they're like relying on the john goodman's they're relying on the on all these people francis mcdormand steve buscemi say what you will he is funny looking like yeah. it's just like yeah. they're literally yeah. making jokes about one of the guys who would eventually go on to become a star in his own right being funny looking that's the joke <laughs> that is literally the joke yeah. So Dex, you wanted to do this film. Let's go ahead and go with you. Uh, what do you give it? Give it a letter grade. You've been on this podcast, you know. <laughs> I, I think I understand the format at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll give it an A. I won't go A plus. Uh, just because like way less than I remember happening happens in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> like you watch it and you're just like, oh, it's over now. Like that's it. We're done. 90 minutes long. I was shocked yeah. by that. <laughs> it. Yeah, I don't. I guess when I was watching it, like in college or whatever, it's we're watching it with a bunch of people, so it just always just feels longer watching a movie that way. But yeah, I, I you get to the end of it and you're like, okay, it's like, damn, I guess it's over now. But this movie is so entertaining. The I forget, I already forgotten his name, but the main dude is the worst scammer of all time. Garbage <laughs> ass. It's so bad. And well, like just watching this he, shit fall apart so so quickly is hilarious. Yeah. Jerry Lundegaard. Yeah, William H. Macy. I heard Conan O'Brien say about him one time when he was interviewing William H. Macy is, you are the scummiest scumbag in the history of movies in this movie. And I don't think there's any, like, like you can't really, like, you can't be scummier than, like, willfully deceiving your own son about what's going on. Uh, and, and not worrying about, like, not worrying about what happens when he's going to be without, like, parents and grandparents at the end of this movie. Uh, and, uh, you know, having your own wife kidnapped. Like, the fact that it would even enter your mind, and then you would. Isn't she even killed at the end of the movie? Yeah, she gets killed. Yes, she gets. Yeah. She 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 gets killed. Yeah, like when, like when, uh, when Steve Buscemi walks back in, she's like dead on the floor in the in the cabin. You oh, know, she so, was screaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, like, and and he had no qualms about that, and felt justified in doing it because he felt that his father-in-law was so bad so yeah yeah i mean he's you're right dex he's he is a scum bag he's a scumbag he's so and he's bad just at it. bad at it yeah he's just a he's such a scumbag that the person that who's what's the tv show that he's popular uh, that uh, oh, shameless. shameless he's literally yeah. just like another version of a scumbag on shameless because he was so good at playing a scumbag 30 or 40 years ago that show is like, wildly entertaining i'm not gonna lie <laughs> He's just and a then, perfect scumbag, and he has so much confidence, but he's he's just, like, horrible. So like, trash. He's LeBron James. 
Well, he okay. thinks he's LeBron James, but he's like he's he's horrendous at this. Yeah, well, he's women. scamming, but also getting scammed. Like he's the mark <laughs> the whole time, and it's just it's like just watching all the pieces come together and this man's life falling apart is just hilarious. Francis McDormand being the greatest detective of all time, like she cleaned that shit up in like two days. <laughs> but she she did that because she asked really simple questions. She just asked like obvious questions. It kind of shows you how stupid most crime is. Like all you have to do is ask like simple questions and then you'll be like, well, didn't think of that, you know, because people get greedy. But back to Macy for a second. He like, do you remember him in uh, in Boogie Nights? Yes. Oh yeah. Like oh, in God. Boogie Nights, you know, he shoots himself, you know, but he has the scene before it happens where like he walks in and he's like, oh, my wife, she's, fucking this guy <laughs> he's just so sad sack about it <laughs> like that's but that's kind of jerry lundergaard like you know you lie to me mr lundergaard you're you're a fucking liar and then he just goes out <laughs> and he just goes out in the in the like he's like oh, i'm gonna find out about the true coat and he just goes and watches like you, watch you know go, you goes and watches i've been there though i felt him on that shit because i when i worked retail i definitely was like i'll go look in the back yeah. One second. <laughs> <laughs> One second. I'll definitely go yeah. look at the back. I'm, I'm not looking for <laughs> Yeah, fuck that. But yeah, man, it's an A. It's just wildly entertaining. Like the crime is the crime is funny because it's so stupid, but also it's like really fucked up if you think about it. And that's like what dark comedy is and like what makes it work. But yeah, it's hard to not like this film. I, I gotta give it an A. Teach. This is an A plus. This is a one of uh, I think four perfect Coen Brothers films. This film is perfect. When literally from the first scene, and the reason why it's called Fargo is because the first scene, literally, you have this alpha beta classic pair of criminals who've been through some shit, are willing to do some shit, and you get a call that you are supposed to go help this dude with a crime, and and the person that walked into the bar to meet you is Jerry Lundergaard. He's nervous, but he's somehow confident. He obviously is like cares about social cues. He wants to like be polite to people. And he tells you, I want you to kidnap my wife. And you're like, what? This dude wants someone to kidnap their wife? And you immediately realize that they see him as like, this guy's a mark. He is now the target, right? He doesn't realize it, but he becomes a mark at that moment. And just watching him just fumble at every turn while at the same time getting you Francis McDormand, who's literally just asking just like, Hey, did you have a car stolen from this lot? And he literally just can't handle the question. He's being rude. Holds He's like yelling at her. Chair. And it's like, I didn't even, we're, you're not even being interrogated. I, I don't even know that you're a part of the crime yet. I'm just trying to ask for information because I think there's a crime happening over here. And you immediately let me know that you are a part of this crime now. Like just the way that in every scene just kind of lets you sit in the environment for a second. There's no need for the scene with the old man telling him about how we procured the information and saw the guy at the bar. And there's no need for him, for us to see the scene, except for we, they want us to see what two people from this town would interact like, even when the stakes are so high, like I'm reporting a crime that there might be serial killers in our town. So well, that like, also, that scene also lets you like, that's, that's almost just a pickup just so you know why she's driving by in that one spot at that point in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Like at the perfect time, like, oh yeah. shit, that's my car. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's every, it's just such a charming movie, which is weird to say about a movie with a scene where somebody gets literally like blown into bits by a industrial tool. Like, but it's such <laughs> a charming movie. It's just so funny every time to watch this unfold, even though you know what's going to happen. And it's just, it's perfect. It's an A plus. 
Yeah, I'm with Dex. I give this movie. I, I'm I'm at an A. I'm like bordering on an A plus, mostly because like there's some scenes in here like that don't really make sense unless somebody can smarter than me can explain to it. Like the whole thing with Mike and how he's like mentally unstable and they just put that in there it feels like to like no, there's a purpose to that scene of it's, course there is. what is it because i definitely I didn't yeah. get it. i don't think they needed the scene but the purpose of that scene is that scene is bookended by when she first uh sits down with jerry lundegaard and when she second meets him again that scene's supposed to let you know that's how she realizes that jerry's lying to her because she remember she took him at his at face value even though the interaction was weird the first time where she asked have you had any car stolen from this lot? And that scene where she got lied to by someone and didn't pick up on it was her way of now knowing I have to recircle to Jerry because he is lying about his part of the case. And that's how she figures it all out. That is incredibly subtle because that win. But you, but you don't right need it. But yeah. you really don't, you really don't need it. Like she could just get there and we would trust her to get there. You've already instilled the trust in us. Yeah. But it's also a hilarious scene every time. So I well, never don't like it. Well, also, like, I think, like, they've got this guy, Mike Anagita, who, like, who's got a fun, like, he, you know, like, the way he says his name is funny, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know Mike Anagita. Mike Anagita. The, the, the know, Asian like, and so, Minnesota accent together is perfect. Yeah, was, so he's so he's funny, and, like, um, it also is another part of, like, here's the thing you, you don't know until you go there. There's a huge Japanese population in Minneapolis. Huge. Really? Tons of Japanese. Really? People. That's why there's so, like, that's why there's so many sushi restaurants. That's why I went to the one in White Bear Lake because there's a lot of Japanese people in, in, in Minneapolis. Like, I would have I don't know never known that. Audio industry or whatever, but like then you see this like, okay, well, here's a guy like you would never think of like in Minneapolis and Minnesota. Like, and, like I always think of the Chris Rock joke about Minnesota. Like the only black people in Minnesota yeah. are Prince and Kirby Puckett, you know? So yeah. like, like, so when I think of Minnesota, I think of a place that's like totally whitewashed. And then you mm -hmm. go there and you're like, I mean, it's almost true, but then you're like, there's Japanese people everywhere here. Like, what's got it, got it. going on? And so, like, when you see it, you see Mike Anagita, like, okay, well, yeah, that's why he's grown up there. Like, you know, like, it's, you know, they're there because I think the auto industry has some something, like, you know, whatever it is. But, yeah, there's – and so he's there. He's like, yeah. And then the fact that he is, like – the other thing that I love, like, I think they just wrote this really funny character who's just, like, really hot after this pregnant lady. Yeah. in his town he's disgusting. like adds another yeah. level of like weird to it yeah like can i come sit over here like no 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 don't sit yeah. over there like, what he, are you asked doing? Her, he asked her about her marriage before he makes his move like yeah. this dude is an absolute creep scumbag yeah. bro. <laughs> the uh it is it is funny to me seeing a person of color with a minnesota accent because up until like you said up until <laughs> yes it is the widest film of all time like quite literally yeah. it is wider than a Scorsese film it is it is white and uh and then seeing a person of color just being like oh don't you know you're just kind of like <laughs> <laughs> like you know but the yeah? Um, no oh yeah yeah the um but yeah I think Frances McDormand I think I think obviously she was nominated for an Oscar before this and uh she she's all of a sudden is is one of the like leaderboard for one of the best actresses of all time. Oh, she's like she Streep, right? She's like up yeah. there with Streep now. She has she? three. She has three Oscars for or three acting Oscars, four wins. She won for uh, Nomadland for producing it. Also, this past time. But anyway, oh, I didn't know. oh yeah. got it. So she has four Oscars, and uh, yeah, in between this billboards and now Nomadland, she's just all of a sudden pantheon material. But this is by far, I feel like her, 
one most notable performance and two are her most likable performance probably because you watch three billboards you're kind of like you like that woman but also it's just kind of like damn this is hard to watch uh this or if you're like me you just don't watch movies like that so yeah. i've never seen it. same it's it's really good but it uh it also is hard to watch it's even more hard to watch than this but she's just so disarming but incredibly uh I'm not, I don't know the word, but it's, it's disarming the way that she answers. She asks questions, but she's so stern in her questioning that it's it's really cool to see because it, it's like, oh, I'll answer this cop lady, this cop lady, this cop's questions. And then all of a sudden she's asking, well, where were you? And you're just kind of like, this is weird. Where are you Friday night? Just so disarming like that. And I, she doesn't even come in through, you know, halfway through the movie, it feels like. Um, yeah, I wrote it down. It's like 30 minutes for you to meet her. In this yeah. Movie. Uh, I think, I think sometimes Steve Buscemi's character can get a little bit much, but you know, whatever he's, he's playing the Steve Buscemi character. He's done it for years. And, um, all I these think he has to be much though, because like the other guy he, isn't he's well, yeah, but he's the reason they get caught. I mean, he yeah. and Jerry, like, you know, his like ego and stuff is what, you know, gets them caught you know he goes back up to the twin cities and you know starts barking at people and uh you know uh you know got to you know Hooker. jose feliciano got no 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 complaint you know taking her to the, yeah. taking hookers out and stuff like that like you know like trying to be a big a big shot you know and, and uh you know and like you see it like the cool thing about steve buscemi is you see his ego like building the whole movie about like yep he's in charge like I think that what it really turns for him, and this is so weird because I thought about this this week when I was thinking about it, where his ego turns and he's like decided I'm not going to take any more is when he's coming out of the parking thing. And he's like, I'm not going to park here. You and feel like a like, big well, fucking man. Yeah. Dollars. And he's like, and then he's like, these are the limits of your life, man. <laughs> you know, it just gets you got some the shit guy. going on. Yeah. And then like, after that point, he's like, no, I'm not taking any shit from anybody anymore. Like, that's it. I'm taking control. This parking lot attendants charged me four dollars. None of this is going right. I, like, you know. I looked it up. I was like, "What's the inflation rate between twenty from between ninety six and twenty one? And I was like, it, "Is four dollars like now like twenty five bucks? Like something where it'd be like, no, it's oh. only like six dollars." <laughs> it was the principle of the thing. Like yeah. it was just the principle of the thing that he was just so offended by. Yeah, like, there was a Fraser episode about this exact thing happening. <laughs> like literally the entire episode is just Niles and Fraser sitting in the car because Fraser is like protesting this parking <laughs> pay thing. So he sits there for like, well, I gotta pay for an hour, so I'm gonna sit here for an entire fucking hour and not give you. I think it was five dollars or whatever. And then I called a box episode. What's that called? A bottle yeah. episode. Bottle yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah, and then like he immediately like waits too long and has to pay for an extra hour so he sits there all over again shit is hilarious but yeah um yeah i think all the characters are great i think i think obviously it's all heightened in the, in the coen brothers script and you just get comedy out of uh, they they're really good at finding finding real life situations and heightening them i feel like and and making things a little bit larger than life because like this is something that could happen obviously maybe not to the extent of kidnapping wives and things like that but like goes and tries to find a murder and i think just some of the framing is brilliant in this movie by roger deakins as well when 
when he, especially when she's going to investigate the investigate the sh- the three mur- uh, the triple murder at the uh, beginning of the film when she first introduced, and she goes out there and she's about to throw up, and the guy's just sitting over her shoulder. He's like, "Oh, we got a murder here. That looks too bad." <laughs> and it's just like a dead dude in a red jacket sitting over her shoulder, and it's it's just all the comedy plays in so subtly it's just it's uh it's crazy and you know uh oh he's got his gun on his hip doesn't seem like too bad of a guy that's a shame it's just, like, <laughs> just all that all that subtle stuff that if either if you've known someone from the midwest or if you've known someone like with that sort of politeness or whatever it's it's just so funny and heightened and and obviously it's larger than life but it, it feels like a situation that could definitely happen my one complaint is that a lot happens in a and maybe this is the brilliance of it and i'm a dumb idiot which yes but like a lot happens and not a lot happens at the same time and that confuses me and for that i give it i just give it an a so that's where i'm sitting with it but um we can start kind of just breaking it down a little bit if y'all want to i got a bunch of notes actually that i took on this film um is the true story thing is a plot device right yeah yeah that that started because that started way back when with like cannibal holocaust or whatever that's not like a thing that the coen brothers did yeah and like texas chainsaw massacre and all that yeah this is what i said about the coen the coen brothers are great at putting very interesting stories in very small settings not very many of their movies are these huge and i don't even think any of them are really these these huge scopes like uh barton fink is basically just all in a hotel room it's like one hotel room <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. um you know uh, it, it, raising arizona's in this small town in basically a trailer park in arizona this is in the midwest uh, i think maybe the biggest no might be the big Pro- lebowski yeah, that well, might be the biggest because it's oh, like all of LA kind of, but oh, even oh, then. Bro- oh, brothers, you know, the Odyssey. So that's probably their biggest scope as far oh. as story, you know. And set pieces, yeah. But like it's yeah, just like this entire movie is basically like them going from one parking garage to another. Basically. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> the opening of the movie is this big ass dramatic, like music that's really slow in a building and then you just see like an Oldsmobile like slowly driving across <laughs> middle of nowhere. Yeah. And, and I think some of the shots again I say by Roger Deakins like are great at capturing uh, just how vast and I don't even boring maybe even the midway it's just like especially when he's coming out after the meeting that is also hilarious and is uh, with his father-in-law and his sidekick where you just find out that Lundergaard's an idiot where he's like oh you expect us to pay for this parking lot or whatever or this uh this car lot and then only collect the interest on it but like, what, like what yeah is he, why would he even think and it's not he knows he has a bad relationship with his father-in-law anyway. So yeah. like, you don't think that that's going to be the thing that decides it. And he would never give this to a stranger. That doesn't make sense. I'm not a bank. And so like, why did you think I was going to literally hand you a, a three quarter of a million dollars? Like, here you go. You're the dumbest person I know. You would, that scene goes would, on. I for would lose that money minutes. forever. <laughs> that scene goes on for 10 minutes. And they're like, wait, you just want $750,000. He's like, I'll pay you the principal. He's like, we're not a bank. 
but I pay you the principal. Look, that's another Minnesota thing. Like hell, FDIC, you know. Yeah. Like, but uh, but that uh, that that's the scene that also like. So you wonder like, what can this guy who just hates his father-in-law? Like, I'm sure plenty of people don't get along with their father-in-law because you know he's never going to love you because you're banging his daughter, you know, like just, I know, mean, he even says early on in the movie, he's like, what's his wife's name? I'm sorry. Wife and son. Name. Gene. Yeah. Gene and Scotty. Gene and Scotty will be fine. Yeah. Gene and we'll Scotty will have be fine. to worry. We'll never have to worry like, about money. I don't care about your lot in life, but they will never have to worry about money. Yeah. And so, uh, but like, you see what he's done is like, and he already works for his father-in-law anyway, because he father-in-law owns the car dealership, you know? And, but he's just written up at like he's thought like and this is what a lot of like simple stupid crime is like well who's gonna know if i write like if i send you know the car loan people uh 10 vin number like 10 loans like what do they know you know like i'll get the money and i'll pay it back i need the money right now you don't even really know why like i think that's the other thing is like why did he do that in the first place like, do we ever he, find out why yeah. he's in financial trouble? Do we ever find yeah, out? Like, you don't really know. Like, he's just decided yeah. to do this because, you know, for whatever reason. And then, like, you know, maybe maybe he just thought he'd get away with it. But, like, you don't ever know why he did it. You just know that he has done it. You to, know? Dig in, to dig in more to kind of, like, what is in the TV show is this. It's almost like death, death, like a comedic death of a salesman where he's just fed up with his lot in life is what I kind of feel like it is where he's just kind of like, I have this rich wife who's our father, who is rich and I am just done. I'm just done with the modernity. I'm done with the monotony of Minnesota and the Gophers and like, <laughs> and like my, my son going to McDonald's at like you know, till nine 30 at night, I'm just done with it. And it, it was just, it was one of those things that I felt like it was kind of a tale of, of the post, uh cold war man where it's just like oh we don't really have much to worry about besides going to work and like everything else and i think it's brilliant by the coen brothers but i but i i just want to get back is that i think it also uh deacons captures that by how it like some of the framing shots when like when he's walking out of the meeting just to go all the way back it's just a wide open parking lot and them staring down on him as he's trying to walk mm -hmm. to his car. And there's several shots of that where there's these huge wide shots of just how vast and empty where they are is and how lonely it feels, especially when they're dealing with Lundergaard's character. And I feel like, and this is the most movie boy movie thing that we'll get into for me with this, is just how I think fed up, it shows that the, the post-modern man was within this the context of this film and how terrible that can be <laughs> like how toxic that is actually i think it i always view it as like a very interesting view on like hyper masculinity but even in some in people you might not expect it from it's like the whole time jerry is just feeling like he can just will his way into a different life just because he is smarter than everybody and better than everybody. He's a step ahead of everybody. At the same time, you literally see that happening to Bushimi's character right after the cop gets killed right in front of him. And he kind of realizes, Oh shit, I'm in a much deeper situation than I might've bargained for. I thought you're just going to be a little bit of kidnapping, no rough stuff, but this dude literally just murdered a cop and his brains have leaked onto my lap. The only way I can really get out of this is to just 
be the hyper masculine man and not take no shit off nobody, which eventually leads to his demise and also leads to Jerry going to jail and also his father in law is dead, his wife is dead, and now he's going to jail forever. Just like, a just a tad such- amount of of, of treason. <laughs> just a slight amount of treason. The um, no, yeah, I, they, I go ahead. They give you like very early on. They give you the two not built for this moments, like Jerry's <laughs> first meeting. He is not built for this. <laughs> well, I thought he you said A30. Shook out of his mind in that meeting. <laughs> he's like, these dudes might kill me at any moment. Like, I I, I just want to kidnap my wife. Like, I don't I don't know who these dudes are that Shep sent me. Like, I thought this was going to be real easy. Like, nah, shook out of his mind. I'd rather and, not discuss personal matters. Like, it's just like, they're, they're asking you these questions. And he's just like, I, that doesn't matter. Just kidnap her. Like, don't worry about it. Like, yeah. he just... <laughs> It's fumbling. You know, you know, here's that thing from that scene that I never realized because Steve Buscemi takes the lead right away. Yeah. It took me like three watches to realize that Peter Stormare was the one who set it up. Like he was the real criminal. Like he was the guy, he and Shep Proudfoot. Yes, yes. So they knew each other. And Steve Buscemi is the interloper in this. Yep. Like, he's the one that, that I, I've never realized that. That's really, that's really cool. Actually, go ahead. That, yeah, like, you he, don't realize. He's, he's the one who, He's the one who's been brought in and now has tried to take this over because Peter Stormare doesn't say anything. So Steve Buscemi yep. feels like he's got to be the leader of this little criminal expedition. And if you watch, like when they're kidnapping the house, like anything they're doing, Steve Buscemi's like a little bumblebee. He's like, and then Peter Stormare, like, you know, I need Ungwen. He's just in the thing, getting like he's not worried about it. Like, all right, he just kicks in the door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then yeah. and so, but Steve Buscemi's freaking out about everything, and then. You know, uh, and then here's this guy's like, yeah, well, I killed her. She was screaming, you know, I, I Peter Stormare's character is low key. One of the more frightening, frightening characters. It, 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 and he's played crazy people throughout his entire career. But it, it, it he is low key. One of the more frightening when he kills the cop, sees the guy drive by and then just takes off after them. Like, all right, I'm going to go kill some more people. It is crazy. And then on top of that, you're esta- it, it is established within about five minutes that these people are degenerates when they're fucking in the same room as each <laughs> other and then watching Johnny Carson. Hey, not to kink shame anybody, but uh, that's That's weird. Like, that's, that's weird. Super that's weird. That's some fresh. I don't want to fuck in the same room as this dude I just met. I just met yeah. this dude. No, no. I, I mean, like, you'd have to cross a different kind of threshold of friendship with anybody you've known for a long time. Be like, all right, let's let's do this in here. But for like some guy you just met and you, you know, uh, you know, I know a place in Brainer we can get laid, and they, like they're not even they've got money, like they've got enough money to get a second room. Yeah, you don't need to split a, tw- a double twin hotel. These room. dudes are absolute creeps. Well, and and they're just like, sitting there watching Johnny Carson. Yeah, and the gir- the girls weren't even bothered by like when nope. Francis Dorman is interviewing them. They're like, they're like, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. they're like, yeah, that's what you I did. You were with the tall no. feller. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We met, we met these, we met these two dudes at the bar. And uh, we just decided to bang them, and then they left. Was circumcised. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, wasn't circumcised. Yeah. Does that help? Yeah. <laughs> Anything else? It's just it's like that. That was scene he funny is, looking apart from was that. He funny looking <laughs> yeah. apart from that. <laughs> yeah, there. That that scene is incredible, but it it is established from the jump that these two are just creeps from the yeah. very beginning. But you're just not like freaked out 
by it, which is such a weird thing that the Cohen brothers are able to do because it, I guess it's established early on between the rapport between William H. Macy and, and those two guys that, oh, this isn't like it, it within the context of the film, this is a diabolical scheme, but also we're not supposed to be that shook up about this, which is such yeah, a weird like, thing that they're able to do. So yeah, they're just going to kidnap his wife and like, just probably like hold her up in a random cabin somewhere. It's Minnesota. I'm sure they have cabins. No big deal. Like, just gonna chill, and then they'll give her well, back. And they'll shit. Yeah, but then, like I was saying, you find out that Steve Buscemi is not about this life when the other guy kills the cop in his lap, and he's just like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> Wait, this is very what he signed up for. He's like, yeah, "Oh he's shit!" Like, oh like, yeah, I, I can't hang. Like you just yeah. kill a cop in my lap. <laughs> but, he, but like that's when he's. That's also when he starts to get pushed. Okay. You know, this guy killed a cop. Now I've got to go to get this money from Jerry in Minneapolis. Okay, well, then while he's there, you know, Shep beats the, like, the parking lot attendant, you know, tells him no. And then Shep Proudfoot comes and whips his ass with a belt. And and then Very he funny. decides, yeah, and then he decides, like, then he decides, like, that's it. I'm not taking anymore. And then when Jerry doesn't show up, he just, like, you know, where's Jerry? And then, you know, and then, and then, you know, tough as nails, you know, with a bullet hole in his cheek, leaves, drives off and buries the money. I mean, like, it is like that whole thing is not to skip that far ahead, but to skip that disgusting. That is such a, and when he shows back up at the cabin before he is a spoiler alert killed and chopped into a bunch of pieces is it disgusting when he's sitting there, he's like, shut me in your fucking face. And he's just drooling (laughs) and like bleeding all over the place. He's like, I'm taking the car. He's like, no, that it is incredible. But it also shows how like he just, he just buried a million dollars minus the 80, right? He comes to break bread with the other dude with just the 80. The dude says, Okay, I'm also we're splitting the car, and as opposed to just giving him the 40,000 saying, Whatever, keep it, and leaving the house. He he thinks that he's gonna bargain with this dude who he just saw kill a cop like less than a day ago with brains that is like, What did you think was gonna happen when you tried to neg- like negotiate with this guy and just walk out and say, Are we square? What did you think was gonna happen? Are you gonna yeah, ask for at least four bodies in front of you. Like, why are you You've seen him kill, and he hasn't seemed affected by it at all. Including why do you kill you? Gene like, is like, he hasn't even taken Gene out of the cabin yet. Like, she's still sitting <laughs> oh, there in yeah. the cabin on the floor. And, and that's, but that's the other, that, that's, that's like kind of the, the synergy of the parking lot. Like, it's just $4. Like, you've got a million dollars. You know where it is. Drive back and go get it. And, it's the principle of the thing for him. Like about the principle, yeah. He's gonna stand on this. Like I know, I believe this in my heart of hearts. This is how I feel about this. This is like wrong. I've done a lot of bad things, but I'm not gonna be taken advantage of. Also, know? incredibly fucked up that what's his name, Budget Bruce Willis, is like fully invested in this. Has killed four people. Budget Bruce Willis. Good lord. For Forty thousand dollars. Like Jerry knows oh. that. Jerry knows that he's like getting a million dollars out of his father-in-law. Then Steve Buscemi finds out that you know there was a million dollars in here, but the other guy is just doing all this on the basis of forty thousand dollars in an old. He never thinks he's getting more than forty thousand dollars. <laughs> forty thousand dollars at an Oldsmobile is all he needed to kill. Like Umber Sierra. <laughs> 
Dog, yeah. them's is uh, them's is Clinton era, nineteen ninety six, forty thousand dollars. <laughs> Went a long way. No, the um, I, I I think those characters are just so slimy and crazy that it, it is, but it's it, they're just not unlikable, which is weird to say. It, they are unlikable but they're not like you you can stay on the screen with them like there's plenty of movie scumbags where you're just like all right get this dude i can't anymore with whatever is going on here but these sociopaths you're just like all right i'm along for the ride this is a interesting thing that happens within the context of this movie and uh getting back to francis mcdormand she doesn't show up till like halfway through the movie and making her pregnant is interesting but also there, the relationship between her and her husband is funny, so funny to me, because it's just like they're always eating together. It's you got smith. Arby's all over me. Yeah, eating it, <laughs> eating in, in in near relative silence. Yeah, like they just sit there; they don't really have a conversation. And like the other thing about like she's going to a, a triple murder scene, and part of this is like in Texas, you would be like, we got to get out there as fast as we can because this shit's gonna smell, you know. Mm-hmm. But in Minnesota, like, oh, they're frozen. Ain't nothing gonna happen. You know, it's yeah. two degrees outside. It's <laughs> covered in snow. And he's like, well, you gotta have a breakfast. You know, so, you know, she takes probably 15, 20 minutes longer so he can make her some eggs, you yeah. know, and sit down and eat them. You know, you gotta have a breakfast. I and think that-, that that's a really good point because I was like, why did they take so long on that scene? I think it just shows how slow everything moves. Yeah, yeah it's like Minnesota. a perfect tone setter. It lets you know this thing's gonna move slow. Not that much is going to happen. The stakes are going to be small, but like go in for the ride. Well, I just, yeah. I just, Tyler about- needs to jump. It's just like, it just like, <laughs> takes 15 beats longer than it normally should. Yeah. But I mean, just think about like if you were a cop, you know, anywhere else and like, especially in a small town that like, believe me, they don't have triple, like a triple, triple murder in that side, place yeah. is like, whoa, you know, like that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. And then to just take your time getting out there. Like if, if there was a triple murder in Moody, Texas tonight, yeah. like, like, and they called the Moody, Texas PD, believe me, if he was, if he was there in any more than five minutes, they'd be like, what is going on with you? Like, yeah. we just had a triple murder here. Like also is- a cop has been killed. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. They shut <laughs> shit down behind cops getting killed. Like it's yeah. over for everything. Yeah. There was only two sheriff deputies out there and then they left them on the side of the road before the morgue got there. They're like, all right. Yeah, like okay, like what? Somewhere near Waco, like a little while back, a cop got killed, I think, and they shut like every fucking thing down, like Mm -hmm. up and down thirty five. Like you were going nowhere until they figured out who killed this cop. But they're just like, "Eh, you know, we'll get out there when we get out there. Well, I mean, it sat there all night too, you know, before somebody you know found it, I'm sure, you know, and called in. So like again, what's the rush? But like it does, like TJ said, just a like a good. It sets the pace of like, listen. This is going to move how this moves. This is not some kind of like rapid paced crime thriller. This is, this is this movie. This is how they approach things. And that's like also what makes her like such an interesting detective, because like a lot of times you watch crime movies and you got a guy like slamming a dude up against the wall, like, tell me where the body is. And like, she's just like, did you get a car stolen? Oh, Hey. And then she asked like the one question I think throws him off. I can't remember what it was, but it was just kind of a fundamental question about like, about about oh the lot count like how do you know like how would you know that a car was stolen off this lot because there's a hundred cars out here so like do you remember like 
you know, you memorize like that was some Columbo shit right there. You just ask a mundane question and then he just sends him out the door. You know, he was and, he was basically like he fold. Like I said earlier, he folds like a lawn chair. He's such a bad criminal that he's just like, well, I, to- I, I told you I, I, I told you. He's like, dude, just lie. Lie more. And he's like, fuck it. I'm going to count right now. And then like walks past the window that she's sitting at. Yeah. The oh, he's leaving the scene. He's fleeing the scene. <laughs> he's fleeing the interview. He's fleeing the, the interview. interview. <laughs> um, yeah. Moving I back a little bit, though. Ahead. When they go to kidnap Jean, I wrote down, like, it's so it's fucking hilarious. Funny. She just sits there and watches this man in a ski mask with a crowbar, like, come up to her glass door. She's <laughs> knit, doing knitting, and she's staring at him like, is this dude really about to break into my house? Like, And, yes. and it just proves also how big of an idiot she is, too. Like, it's just an idiot couple on top of everything else. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's... And and then her and then her running up the stairs, almost getting away, and instead of actually continuing to try to call nine one one, like the phone didn't get jerked that far away, but like, or getting out of the window or whatever, she gets into the <laughs> gets into the bathtub, and instead of just staying silent, runs out and nearly kills herself. It is so funny when she runs through the bathtub and nearly kills herself yeah her falling down the stairs like shouldn't have been as funny as it was but i was dying bro <laughs> it was hilarious but yes i mean she almost fooled steve buscemi steve buscemi definitely was like oh she's gone yes we're done <laughs> but budget bruce willis not to be fooled not to be trifled with he found her. yeah well and then that scene also is like that's where you see why jerry's had just come back because it's his the loan he thinks he's getting it and he thinks he's got to call it off. like he tells shep to call it off but then he never got in, in touch with them because they're out in the middle of nowhere. And he doesn't rush home and try to save his wife. He just goes about and then his when day. He gets home, he's thrilled. Like he's like, it's jubilation on his face when he sees it's been done, you know, like, Wade, oh, good. something happened. has happened. Wade. No, wait, wait no. Wait, uh, daughter, wait, it's, it's my wife. Wait, it's, it's fuck. Yeah. <laughs> when it, you see him practicing before he makes the call, it's just yeah. like, it's like, this dude is subhuman. Like he's literally subhuman. Oh man. Um, let's see. I said Lundergaard is a terrible criminal criminal. Her yeah, I wrote down Dex. Her just staring at the dude before he breaks into the house. Um I thought she killed herself within that movement within that moment. Like I thought she that would have made much sense for thing because the context of the movie, but it also would have been hilarious who just fell down the stairs and died. Like it would have been a weird thing within the movie um let's see I, it, we got to talk about that it doesn't even feel like the same francis mcdormand i know i said this earlier like within like recent movies and obviously she's gotten older and been around for a long time but like you know like uh meryl streep still kind of feels like meryl streep and everything within like there's been a career shift within Francis McDormand's career because this is not the same person. It's not. Can't cannot convince me this is the same woman. No, yeah, I don't I, know, like I don't know. Like she's done a lot of different stuff. Like she was uh, you know, like Jersey Laurel Canyon with Christian, like Christian Bale played her son mm. and Kate Beckinsale's in that. Like that's kind of a weird, not a weird, but like it's like in, you know, her kind of in like she was doing a lot of independent stuff, or she'd like randomly show up in a supporting part, you know, which is always like 
she was the uh what's that movie is it something's got to give with jack nicholson and, and diane yeah. keaton like she plays uh, this, yeah. she plays the sister in that and like that's just not enough for francis mcdormand but you know i'm sure she i'm sure she made a cool million on that movie and was like yeah sure i'll i'll come and hang out with diane keaton and jack nicholson for for three days and and make a million dollars you know like whatever but yeah she's i mean her career is i don't know this to me it kind of tracks but like now she's got enough like she's done enough like strong tough women roles where she's now kind of like a superhero to uh, like a, a certain part of like the the you know movie watching public you know so she's she's tough and she's badass and she's independent and you know she so now yeah i mean i don't think she's different i just think it's like now like people kind of know who she is more like yeah that's probably uh, it like people know francis mcdormand as opposed to like you say francis mcdormand now people go yeah if you said francis mcdormand you know even after 1996 when she won an oscar you know if you were 2004 you'd be like you know fargo and she was she was the mom and almost famous and like you know there's like that's her you know but like now it's like she's she's a boss you know kind of looking at it francis mcdormand will do anything actually she was in Transformers: Dark of the Moon. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah, I didn't. I when I first saw this movie in college, I had no idea who Francis McDormand was, and like I never cared to learn because it didn't really matter. So I, not until I watched this movie this time was I like, oh shit, that's Nomadland. Like that's the same person. Like mm-hmm. just, that connection just never happened for me. Yeah. So she, I, I just think she was. I can't get say enough. She was brilliant in this, and it. And of course, it is the it's the poster of the scene, and we talked. I talked about it a little bit. Poster of the movie, just the body lay, the whole scene of them tracking what the crime happened, and the body laying in the background of this thing is the most. I think it's the funniest part of this movie, where she's like, "Oh, got some morning sickness, <laughs> got a barf." Yeah, and, and uh, just I, I just think it's. I can't say enough. It's the funniest thing. And uh, also the, we haven't talked about the, the father-in-law, actually the father-in-law character within the context of the movie. Also him being fed up that he has to pay money to get his daughter back is very funny. <laughs> like a million dollars. What? I, I mean, he was going to do it though. Like he was, and he had the thing on him when he went to do it. Like he was, he was not back. quick enough. Dude, dude was, slow to the draw to be honest <laughs> true he got but, he uh, got he got worked he got cooked to be honest even but, the dad it's like what how did the dad think this was going to go like everybody is so hyper confident and it's like how, the dad just thought he was just going to be an old wise an old dude with an with a temper and just going to will his way into the situation going how he wanted it to right like, it's just such a weird scene for the dad the way the way he shows up and he's like, no, you get into the data. And then he just shoots him. And he's just like, like he's like, oh, what did you think was going to, it's like, man, or what are you going to do? Stab me, man who was stabbed. <laughs> yeah. but, but him like, shooting that guy in the face, though, is just, just yeah. hey, that's a good way to go out as ever. And Steve Buscemi ended up getting his. So, you know, karma came back to him pretty fast. Yes. But Steve Buscemi uh, you know, put through a wood chipper. He, <laughs> the biggest hell in this movie. Like the, the uh like i i do feel like it's one of those things like the one time i did feel bad for jerry in this movie is he was this close because he had convinced stan like he had convinced stan not to call the cops like oh that's a good idea and then at that point he thinks like he's he's like right here like 
all I've got to do is let him let me walk out the door. Like if I walk out the door, then I can go get this money and everything's going to be, you know, I'll have the money and we'll figure this out. But then like, you know, the father-in-law's like, no, I'm going like, it's my money. I'm going. And then Jerry's like, well, he's just screwed. <laughs> you know, like he's got Stan. Stan's like, well, that, yeah, no, I think Jerry's right here, Wade. And then he's like, well, if, then then Jerry's like this close, like that's the one last detail he needs for the whole thing to come to fruition. The one last detail he needs. And then, it, <laughs> and then nope, Wade's going. Yeah, Not the Jerry. whole the whole reason that his plan falls apart is the reason he needed a plan in the first place. It's because his father-in-law doesn't like him. <laughs> his father-in-law thinks he's a piece of shit. So I'm not giving you my money to go out there. Like, you suck. Fuck you. The reason he's that so I... sure that he can run this show. He's so sure that he can do this. And it's like, okay, maybe you're sure of yourself. But what on what planet did you think your father-in-law was going to let you handle a literal negotiation that involved a million dollars in the life of my daughter on the line. Well, why would you, why do you think I would let you handle that? Like that after not buying sense. you a car lot. Yeah. That, that doesn't make any sense. He at doesn't all, like he's you, just dude. convinced that it'll go that way. Like, yeah, he's not even the, the, the true decision maker at the place. He's the general sales manager. <laughs> yes. Like he's not even like, won't even let him do that. Like I'll give you this job and it's a good job, but like, you're still not in charge. Like yes, you, you will like, not be in charge. Yeah. You're not right. like you gotta, you know. You would um, have to go ask somebody about like giving a discount on some Truco. Like that's your position in this car lot. I'll tell you that Truco sealant don't need the Truco sealant, right? No, why would you need that? <laughs> uh, I the reason that I I wrote down that that Francis McDormand so disarming is when he goes when she goes and in, in interviews. Um, uh, uh, what's his name? Jerry? No, the uh, the Indian Shep, man. Shep oh, Shep, Shep. Shep, yeah, Shep, Shep Prophet. He, um, she, she, she threatens him with all this stuff. Like, you wouldn't want to be an associate to like a triple homicide, now, would you? And then he goes, "So you think you might remember those folks who were that 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 you called?" And he's like, "Yeah." Like, <laughs> it's just such a disarming sort of harsh thing. Um, but then. But then that whole scene of him beating the shit out of it with a belt, the one line that stood out of me is when he's having sex with the prostitute. She's like, oh, I'm hearing bells. Oh, I'm <laughs> hearing bells. Where are you? Where are you, been? Where you where been? <laughs> My favorite that part of that. scene is incredible. My favorite part of that scene is when Steve Buscemi's like, hey, I was fucking that girl. <laughs> <laughs> like, God damn, dude. <laughs> like, Shep didn't know that. Yeah, yeah like you see that. Hey, man! Like, like if Shep had like he was gonna stop and be like, "Oh, I'm so oh, hey, listen." My bad, bro. Like, go ahead, you, go you, ahead you, let you finish. I'm here to oh, choke you no, out. But this, sure. Sorry, I didn't mean that little breach in etiquette. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what? Let's let's run this back. I'm sorry. Get her back in here. What is, yeah, ma'am? Come come on, come on down. We're, I'm sorry. We're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we'll wrap up here in a little bit. Uh. <laughs> I said the the you know you're from the Midwest when the when the father-in-law um when Wade's final words were oh geez <laughs> when he gets shot. Uh let's see. I now that you describe all the point to the mic stuff that makes sense. Uh <laughs> him just nailing him with an axe, and then the next scene you see is a wood chipper just takes the word the darkest turn. Yeah. I think I've ever seen it just as like, Oh, ha ha. Sort of like crime comedy sort of thing to 
wow, this dude is a sociopath, psychopath. Like he's just, this is crazy. All of a sudden, yeah. just the blood all over the snow blood and everything. Just all over everything. But he doesn't even worry. Like he is in no way worried. Worried, not, not until once. the until she shows up, and then he's like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, I gotta, you know, I, I guess I'll just run into this frozen lake." <laughs> he doesn't have a gun on him, so he's just like, "Oh, I'm fucked. Oh, I'm fucked. Yeah. I'm just gonna run." Yeah. I thought he was gonna break through the ice. I thought that would have been funny. If he just yeah. like fell well, through. You know, uh, I'm gonna say spoiler alert, but if you haven't seen the first season of the television show Fargo, that's how, um, that's how the the main bad guy in there gets it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it is. He just nails him with an axe and puts him through a wood chipper. It takes such the weirdest turn, of a, which I mean, obviously this movie's dark from the start. He murders three people. He murders that woman, yada, 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 but it, yada, 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 three, four deaths. But it, it just when <laughs> when he's putting that dude into the wood chipper and just not concerned at all about blood all over the snow, it is, in, it is just like, Look, huh. this dude is sitting in a cabin for three days or so in his long johns watching fuzzy television unfaced. He literally doesn't care that it's fuzzy at all. He's just watching it. Yeah, he's just sitting there. <laughs> Waiting for his 40 grand. That guy's a sociopath. Just waiting. Yep. You know. And like Dead if body. Gene, if Gene would have just not said anything, like he would have just sat there with her for four days, like just waiting on this forty thousand dollars. I mean, he was like, he was perfectly like, here's the other thing is he was at least somewhat like this was the plan. We're kidnapping her. And then, like, you know, eventually he just lost it. But like at some point he was like, Well, if she stick cooperates, she can go home. It'll be fine. <laughs> you know man of principles i guess but uh yeah it's just a just a crazy un unrelenting psychopath within the confines of this haha movie but like he like and it's it's funny to me how like the the living criminals like get it so like he gets shot in the ass running away on ice afraid of a pregnant lady like honestly like yeah pregnant cop who in no way can catch him he is now terrified of her because he's seen his mortality of like, that's it. And then Jerry Lundegaard trying to crawl out the window in his, in his underwear, you know, in his tidy, well, they were whitey, but like his underwear, yeah. like, you know, eh, eh, it's just like the lowest way to go out. <laughs> like, you know, you like, I would not like, if I was one of those people, like Steve Buscemi, him, like Steve Buscemi, you know, at least he got murdered. At least he didn't have to like go like meet his end like a psychopath murdered him like that's what psychopaths do you ran across one that's it like you know you don't have to like oh, go um. and, yeah you know you <laughs> have to do like this like you know for the rest of jerry lundegaard's life in prison he's gonna like gonna know he's the guy who went, eh. <laughs> <laughs> the, the that is the funny thing about this movie is that it just works up to this entire point obviously it's only an hour and 38 minutes long and runs out basically like an hour 30 but it just all of a sudden just ends. Well, it, it's such a weird. That's it's like that, if you think about the Coen Brothers movies, like okay, they always have like one little quick last line, like Fargo. It's like and it's a beautiful day, and then it's just like, you know, mm-hmm. or all for a little bit of money. It's a beautiful day, and that's it. This like simple point that's made. <laughs> um, you know, uh, um, uh, No Country for Old Men is I had a dream, yeah, and, and then I woke up, and then. Uh, over that's it like the point's been made uh you know even even a movie as like ornate as oh brother art thou ends very simply with 
you know, the dude in the tracks, like, it's just simple. That's it. Like that's, here's that one thing that it's over. You know, this was yeah, this was the story. This was, this was it. But, um, uh, burn after burn after reading is the <laughs> guys in the in the C, at the CIA or whatever, and they're like, "What do Dude, we learn?" Brad Pitt uh, the, not to do Brad, it again. You oh know, my like, god! You know, the ending of Brad Pitt in that movie will never not be shocking. <laughs> yeah. By the way, he's like just smiling. Doom. Anyway, um, yeah. So it just kind of it just really does kind of end. They arrest Jerry, and it's just like all that for a little bit of money. Oh, you made it on the three stint, uh, three cent stamp. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's done. It's just done. It's not like we just saw five people murdered, and we were just like, "Oh shit!" You know what I mean? Yay, stamps. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, any lasting thoughts on this movie? We'll draft dark comedies. I just want to say that my favorite scene in this movie is where she's interviewing the two original prostitutes, <laughs> just because it reminded me of like the date scene from. Uh, coming to america <laughs> i don't know why but like the way it's framed like just the conversation they're having i was like this is coming to america like this this, this shit, shit was phenomenal my there name a- is peaches and i'm the best <laughs> there was a there was a radio show i think in houston that used that oh you betcha yeah yeah was uh, <laughs> that they use that as like an intro to one of their shows uh, i've never forgotten that <laughs> um yeah anything else teach Paul? this is i'm in a coen brothers mood now so i'm probably gonna watch some coen brothers films tonight because we've been talking about them full dis- the reading is amazing full disclosure i've never seen the big lebowski in full you oh, have to watch damn. the big lebowski come on that shit is a no i know movie. i know like i look like somebody that would love the big lebowski but like john goodman is so well he's good at everything but he is so good in that movie man. i've seen all the bowling scene i've seen the jesus i've seen all of that but i just yeah. haven't seen it in full i'm oh, watching they, that shit tonight yeah the Cohen brothers are good at, at writing pontificators you know whether they're supporting characters or like in oh brother art thou you know the George Clooney is the pontificator the whole time, you know, Damn, and we're in a tight spot in, in the, in, in the big Lebowski, it's John Goodman because the dude just wants to live a simple existence. You know, he wants to bowl <laughs> and drink by Russians. And then, and then in, uh, you know, in, in Fargo, the pontificators, you know, Steve Buscemi, you know, and he's the one who's, you know, who's got a, like, they always have a, a person who's, you know, you know, all that. And so uh, I think that's, I think in Fargo, uh, it's just the fact that there is, there's literally only one likable character and it's Frances McDormand. Like she's mm-hmm. the only person in the whole movie that you can say this person is good. And she's, the, yeah. I mean, she's quirky, but she's the only person who's good. Like at least the main character, like, you know, she goes to see a guy from high school and that guy's a creep, you know, she, you know, everybody she runs into, she's a creep and she doesn't let it change her at all. Like she's just going home to see Norm, and yeah, you know her husband and the rest. You of like her and her husband, and that's it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you know, her husband, the rest of the people they work with are all idiots. Yeah. Just yeah. All, it, it just she's how's just the, the only one. You know, yeah. yeah. How's the fricassee? Okay, you know, it's good. That <laughs> guy's name being Norm is perfect, by the yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He looks like a Norm. He talks like a Norm. Just Norm. And she stops and gets him night crawlers. You know, no. so you can go ice fishing. But that's kind of it adds such so much levity to the character of like 
while she's solving probably the biggest case in the history of this place or one of the biggest cases while she's solving that she's literally doing the social things of like stopping for eggs with her husband picking him up night crawlers from the night crawler store like as she's doing this she's also just like living her regular life and just being a good wife and a good human and also just being a complete badass and being the only one smart enough on the police department to actually solve this because she has nothing to work with in terms of talent yeah. of other people's talent. You hear the one about the guy that couldn't get uh, vanity license plates, so it changed his name to JGL2404. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I do love that. The one line that I always love from uh, any Coen Brothers movie is, um, well, one, the, the call it scene, but also, uh, I don't want fuck, goddammit. I'm a Dapper Dan man. <laughs> I'll, I'll never pre- Oh, George, not the livestock. <laughs> uh, I always will remember that. But anyway, all right, let's, uh, let's do Dark Comedies Draft right after this ad break from Apollo Houston. And now let's get, a, let's get an ad break uh, draft. Let's get a draft. Dex, do we have a... Uh, order we do it's paul royden dex Tiege. all right paul okay um like i feel like as far as like dark comedies go like i've i you know i i don't want to set like my bar too high like you know there are some obvious ones that people are gonna people are gonna do but i'm gonna say right off the bat my favorite one is kiss kiss bang bang with Robert Downey Jr. and 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 Val Kilmer, like Shane Black, it's so good, and there's just so many like, uh, you know, lines in it, like you know, oh, this is like Val Kilmer, like this is Gay Perry. Oh, are you really gay? No, 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 I'm knee deep in pussy. It's just a nickname, uh, you know, like just just stuff like that, and it's just so snappy and good, and it's it's probably in my opinion, it's Robert Downey Jr.'s best non Iron Man role, uh, and so yeah, I'm gonna take Kiss Kiss Bang Bang first pick. Uh, well, I'll, I'll just go ahead and get Fargo off the board if we're just going to do that. Like, it, this movie was way more funnier than it has any right to be. Like, and I don't know that people knew that going into it, honestly. Oh, it's a crime comedy drama or whatever. Or it's a crime. It's listed on IMDb as a crime thriller drama. This is the funniest drama I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, I feel like from like the hilarious. trailers and stuff, I went back and watched the trailers. There's no way for you to know this movie is hilarious other than like the Minnesota accents. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm gonna go with Fargo. Cool. I'm gonna just just take an easy one here, just because I haven't seen a ton of dark comedies, and this is listed as one. So fuck it, I'm doing it. I'm taking Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I'll give yeah. it to you. I'll give it to yeah. you. I thought about taking that, but I didn't know if I, I would count it as a dark comedy. Pulp Fiction's funny enough to where, like, I mean, I mean, you know, look, I'll tell you, Samuel Jackson's funny the whole time. He's not ever really as heavy as he is. It's funny the whole time. Yeah, yeah it's it's hard to not laugh when Samuel Jackson is talking. Like to be honest, like he's just something about him is just funny. Uh, uh, at least to me a few of tarantino's movies kind of fall on that border too it may come up later on the list to each two picks um well i'm going also tarantino i'm going in glorious bastards which is Damn. obviously meant to be funny um it's fucking hilarious uh and it's it's obviously dark obviously there's crazy shit happening 
it's heavy at times. That opening scene is extremely heavy and well acted. Facts. It's not really funny at all. But then all of a sudden you get into this fucking hilarious movie where this dude's doing a Boston accent and talking about the Red Sox. Like it's just it just becomes somebody's doing a Teddy fucking ball game. (laughs) (laughs) We yawn on that one. This out on Landau Street. Uh, like they're faking Italian accents. They're literally trying to make people think that they speak Italian, which is, it's just, it becomes I, funny as hell. Obviously German. dark, but like it, it's just a, a barrel blast every time. And being what, able to give you both of those things in one movie is just perfect. Yeah. What he's, what he say? You don't need to be Stonewall Jackson to figure out you get, you don't want to go to a fight in a fucking basement. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, we're all tickled to death to hear you say you that. Say Donnie's, <laughs> Donnie's the closest thing we get to go into the movies. <laughs> Donnie, we got a, we got a German here who wants to die for country. Oblige. <laughs> Oblige. Oblige. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I speak the second most Italian. You don't speak any Italian. I know. I know. <laughs> second most. That's what I said. Third most. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just uh so it's it's like a, a treat every time you watch it. It's hilarious. And I'm gonna stay Tarantino and be a dweeb, and I'm gonna pick Django, which yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> is I'd argue it's more funny. There's, there's no way that a movie about slavery should ever be as funny as that film is. Samuel Jackson is the funniest human being. In, ever in that film he's just incredible the comedic timing of it is just so good it's obviously super dark and a lot of dark shit's happened leo is just just it's just the big daddy character it's just it's just hilarious so well, i'm going to I, I i think uh, like if you wanted to just like cut out like individual scenes and in movies of like pure comedy gold like like the dinner scene in wedding crashers i think it's just so well like snappily written and like wraps around so fast of like people saying ridiculous stuff but like i think on another level is the hoods and the kkk with big daddy and jonah hill it's like well it'd be nice to see you know not point any fingers you know i think we all think could have done been done better this time we go back next time the no bags next time we go full regalia. Full regalia. Yeah. no nobody brought an extra bag <laughs> yeah you know and like uh, there are there are lines like in that movie that like like um you know again like it's it's one of the things that would like if not for the you know the the frequent use of the n-word it would be infinitely quotable you know like one of those things but you can like it just it just knocks you on your back of like holy crap this should be so tense right now i mean here we have samuel jackson just berating jamie fox berating Django, and it's just snap 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 yeah just- uh sue me the kkk scene is one of the funniest oh, things God. in cinema history i think i've ever seen it is i've still I, never I seen that movie cried laughing but in the i've theater. seen that scene have you never seen I've how have you never seen Django? i i didn't do tarantino for a long time really until we started this podcast i just didn't do tarantino just as yeah. a general Gen- rule Jen, like I think Inglorious Bastards is his number, like even over Pulp Fiction to me is no his number one because it is like such its own thing. But Django, like he he hit at like a level of screenwriting in there that like just the way he wrote the dialogue in the movie. Yeah, it's just it is that scene 
is because it's one of those scenes where like, am I supposed to be laughing at this? But when everybody in the theater is like collectively having, because I saw it in the theater is collectively having a moment where it's like, all right, this gives you agency to like what? laugh at this because it is fun. It's just well, you, you so know stupid it, and ridiculous. Well, that is, but that, that's what it does is like, it shows how silly racism is like how like like it's terrible but like it's how silly the people think that are like racists like they ride into a town and everybody's freaking out because he's riding a horse like how stupid is that 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 would freak you out yeah. like who's that but, like, on that neck yeah, <laughs> yeah you know like you like how stupid is that that would freak you out but it, the other thing i think about is like if you show that to somebody who like doesn't understand why people freak out about racism like this is how stupid it is the people yeah. that you think oh, oh they're not that racist like these people in this town didn't think they were that bad and then they flipped out because they saw a black guy on a horse like <laughs> that's how stupid it is and he was able to write it in a way that was like oh this is kind of funny to see these idiots fall in the mud because there's a guy on a horse you know doesn't matter if you can see all matters is a fucking horse can see <laughs> anyway all right dex I'm going to take another movie we talked about on the podcast, take an American Psycho. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, the business card scene is has no reason to be as funny as it is. Him lobbing a chainsaw down the stairs at this poor woman is hilarious. Him chopping that, like, killing Paul is hilarious. All the Huey... Hey, Lewis, Paul! Huey Lewis and the news <laughs> stuff is, like... All that shit is just so fucking funny. I hate the ending of that movie, but mm -hmm. the first part of it is just so good that I, I gotta say. What, I want to ask you guys for like, what did you when you did the podcast? You know, there's like debate about the ending of the movie, whether it's like all really did happen in his head, or that because he's rich and white and works for his dad's brokerage firm, it's just one of those things that like went away for him. What did we say? Because we had we at the time we had someone on the podcast who had uh, who had studied the book, actually, strangely, but like written papers and stuff on the book about like it, it's more clear in the book that it was in his head. But the way that I took it at the end of the movie, um, if it wasn't in his head, the way that he got away with it is that he's just some white dude on Wall Street. That's how I took it. Yeah, I. uh I'm struggling to remember. I feel like whatever it was, it was like very obvious and like very uncomfortable. I don't remember exactly like it wasn't as deep as it. they the, the filmmakers wanted it to be. Yeah, apparently like the that. the director wanted it to be like this very ambiguous, like back and forth debate kind of thing. But you watch the movie and it's like, yeah, I I don't remember like if he did it or he didn't do it. But whichever what it was, it was stupid, obvious, and like just dumb. So I hated that part of the movie. Yeah. I don't know. It, it yeah, I, I'd have to go back and listen. Listen to our uh, American Psycho episode. That was oh, I'm, I'm gonna have to. Uh, so my next pick is uh, the Nice Guys with Russell Crowe and uh, Ryan Gosling. Great film. This may fall more into just an actual comedy, but um, it deals with the death of many people, including a porn star and everything else. It is, I think, it's one of the better comedies actually of uh the past decade probably and yeah, deserved also, a sequel never got it also also shane black from kiss kiss bang bang so yeah he, he has a lane it's yeah. not iron man 2 which he did but like it's it this is the lane and i think their rapport is the it's it's incredibly funny uh ryan gosling nearly throwing up every time he sees somebody killed 
is just a funny bit the entire movie. Anyway, two picks. Paul. Okay, two picks. Um, I'm going to go, uh, let's see, uh, do Gross Point Blank, uh, which is uh, John Cusack, Mini Driver. It's a romantic comedy that's, he, it's one of the first like hitman, like did both these movies that I'm going to pick are about hitmen. Uh, it was like with a funny hitman movie. Has anybody, have you guys all seen it? Gross I'm Point looking Blank? at it on Rotten Tomatoes right now. It has actually I don't good think ratings. I've never seen it. Okay. I've never heard of it, to be honest. Okay, well, okay, again, it came out in the late... I, I think I took a girl on a date to see this movie when I was in high school. It's, I think it's, what, 1997? Yeah, I was a senior in high school. So, uh, but he goes back to his, like, his 10-year high school reunion, uh, and he's a hitman who's, like, maladjust... Like, he's... He disappeared in high school, went off, joined the Army, and then became a hitman, and uh, he's back in his, like, hometown in Michigan, in Gross Point, Michigan, and like other hitmen are coming to get him, and he's just trying to reconnect with his high school girlfriend. It's so like you you would think it would play like a normal like romantic comedy, but like it's so twisted and like you know he's uh, like the people just kind of like eventually have to like, accept like yeah I'm a hitman yeah, that's how it is you know. And so uh, there's that one, and then the uh, the other hitman movie that I'm gonna pick here. I guess I like hitman movies, even though it's kind of a overused trope. But uh, in Bruges with uh, Colin yeah. Farrell. Um, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, like, most of the movies, like, pretty funny. I mean, like, it's really funny. And then you find out the reason that they're in Bruges is that Colin Farrell accidentally murdered a kid, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, of all the bad stuff they've done, the bad stuff they do in the movie, he accidentally murdered a kid. And, like, you know, like, it's, I mean, that that's that's about as, as dark as you can get for a dark comedy. Is that, um, who is Brandon that? Gle Brandon Gleason's in it with him. No, I know who uh, he comes out with movies. All. He did The Gentleman. Oh, it's not Guy Ritchie. No, no it's no. not Guy Ritchie. No, it's not Guy Ritchie. It's um, let's see to do Martin McDonough. Oh, Martin McDonough, who did three billboards. And yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah of course, Seven Psychopaths as well. Um, I'm going to take one that's kind of off the beat. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and we'll go with this one because I, I, I have to. Uh, Death of Stalin. I've talked about this movie before <laughs> on on this podcast that just deals with the fall of a nation and the transition of power and the death of a, of a, of a leader, obviously awful leader, but like de deals with that and the policies behind that in the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It is so <laughs> funny. And it's just like a bunch of Steve Buscemi's in it as well. And it's just all of these people that are supposed to be Russians. It's by the guy that made Veep. Uh, but it's all these people who are supposed to be Russians just talking in American and British accents because nobody cares and just dealing with the the process of who's going to take over power in Russia. And it shouldn't be funny, but it's so darkly funny and deadpan and just self-serious. It's so funny. Take, I think it's on Netflix. Check out Death of Solid if you haven't seen it. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I like that. That's a, that's, a, that's a good one. That's a, like, it's a... I, yeah, and, and nobody, like, everybody just uses their normal accent, except yeah. for, like, like, some people are Russian, and then, like, but nobody's, like, really trying to, like, Steve Buscemi's not trying to play Russian. They're not just not even a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think he's Khrushchev. I think that's who yeah. Buscemi plays, right? He plays Khrushchev, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Dex? Uh, so I'm going to go with a very, very recent film, and it's probably not as funny as some of the other ones on here, but there's still funny parts. I'm going to go with Parasite because that, that movie counts. fucking bangs that movie is that movie is incredible like just from start to finish it's like 
the best picture winner is really good i mean that's not always a given (laughs) that's not always a given (laughs) green book exists but uh yeah like it's start to finish it's like hella tense except when they throw in these like random little comedy bits and like it's not even english like they just it's just still funny like the screenplay and like their acting and all that stuff is just still funny some of the random shit that happens is still funny like the Dude, whole big when twist of the movie <laughs> the big twist of the movie when that whole is fucking bananas and it's still kind of funny though when he hits him over the head with that rock or whatever <laughs> yes. i was kind of like whoa <laughs> he let out one of those what the fuck is going on but it's kind of funny yeah it that movie is because so they're all assholes they're all bad people actually at the same time them uh, having sex with them like under the ottoman or whatever yeah <laughs> it's like so uncomfortable and so funny like i i just love that movie i need to watch it again i think it's on hulu or whatever but if you haven't seen parasite still fix your life and go see parasite mm-hmm. tease ghost picks i got two picks all right uh i got I'm gonna go, two picks. i'm gonna go what the wolf of wall street uh love the wolf uh, of wall street yeah. leo's incredible uh everything about it is just so it it's just it's hilarious and it's also you literally it's so funny you literally forget like you're watching uh debauchery displays of debauchery and greed and what greed means and you just this is not somebody we should be glorifying but holy shit it's just so funny to watch the whole thing just kind of crumble and his 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 rise and his fall it's just absolutely funny when he's high and he's on the quaaludes and he's driving the car it's just it's just up there up there with fight club of movies that uh 20 year olds didn't understand 20 year old men didn't understand at the time (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah Um, i didn't understand i saw fight club i was literally that old when it came out so i (laughs) i I thought i got it i I got it i get it much more now but yeah i was 20 when 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 wolf of wall street came out and people were like jordan belfort and you're just like he's not a good person (laughs) (laughs) do not root for him here's the here's the comedy of of that movie like some of the lines like the uh, like i don't like I tell you, I'm never going to fucking Benihana again. I don't care whose birthday it is. (laughs) (laughs) Did the sides cure cancer? He's like, yeah, they did cure cancer, actually. (laughs) Um, The the best scene, I think, from that movie, though, is McConaughey stealing the show from literally uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Peak Leo for five minutes and then just leaving the movie. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> one two three let's fuck <laughs> anyway yeah just the uh, tuski is is incredible the entire <laughs> like how many times like oh man those are rookie numbers you gotta bump you those, those numbers yeah you'll, <laughs> you'll be stroking it you'll be thinking about money <laughs> <laughs> all right what's your second pick um a second one is a movie that i uh came out in 2010 but i didn't see it until a couple years ago uh, Four Lions. Has anyone ever seen this? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I actually have not. Uh, it's, it's incredible. About a, incredible. a group of terrorists that are trying to do a suicide bombing, which obviously is super dark, but like they're just kind of fumbling about it. It's like they're very bad. And the final scene, which I won't spoil for you, is maybe the funniest thing I've ever seen in a movie ever. It's just the, the, the it sets up. There's all these little jokes and it's funny, but then the final scene is just like a butt gusting, hilarious experience. 
Uh, obviously, super dark concept, but amazing execution. Very funny movie. Riz Ahmed. Riz Ahmed. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can't. Riz Ahmed. Early joint. Uh, Dex. Final pick. Let's see. Oh, my final pick is gonna be Heather's. Uh, just because that movie is so fucking weird and like I've never seen it. It's strange. I uh you know, there was a girl in college who I, I wanted to have sex with and she decided that we needed <laughs> to watch Heather's and so we watched it. Otherwise <laughs> I, I never would have, otherwise I would have never seen it. Apparently it made like a million dollars at the box office. Like this movie was not popular. Also but, another film nerds like best of the 80s you should have watched heathers yeah for she she was one of those yes yeah, uh, yeah. but that it. movie is like it's like a high school it's like at a high school there's a lot of like suicides that happens and like bombs are going off and shit like that and like you get a lot of your regular like high school comedy shit but also people are dying like throughout so it extremely weird extremely niche like film but you know i like it enough and i haven't seen a whole lot of dark comedy so heather's makes my cut that's that's a perfectly fine pick it it will come comes up on any list that you type in on (laughs) on google by the way um my film my next film is going to be a a very recent pick just because i love this so much and i don't think it got i mean it won the oscar for best foreign film but it's on hulu go watch it now i beg of you another round is one of the best movies that I think I've seen in the past year, year and a half. And it is darkly comedic and stunningly sad. <laughs> it is so good. Um, I think I think Mads Mikkelsen gives a pitch perfect performance. It's about, if you haven't seen it, it's about four teachers at a uh, private school that that try to test and write a paper about if your blood is your life better if your blood alcohol content is uh point like zero four like or like just below the legal limit of being intoxicated and of course it devolves into the all of them sort of becoming alcoholics and things like that but it it's so dark and so just brilliant i think it's a brilliant movie i think it should have been nominated for best picture but i digress i think it is i think it's one of the better movies of obviously one of the better movies of 2020 but one of the better movies in a long time go watch it yeah, the it's only on my list of movies i have to go that, watch only thing i know about that movie is that like it was getting oscar buzz and all that and that there's a dance number in it apparently mm-hmm. and like i know nothing else about it other than what you just said uh, it doesn't spoil anything but it's the very ending scene you're kind of like what is this because you just see all this terrible shit happen and you're just like okay it's it's a really it's it's kind of disarming but uh final pick you you definitely watch it tonight it's very good uh final pick all right i uh i have two hitman movies i also have two uh john cusack movies i'm gonna go back to the 80s better off dead which is i'm almost positive none of the three of you seen it absolutely not i i don't Okay, you. I, I'm gonna tell you. You just on the fact that this movie would, in a million years, never get made right now. Never ever get made. It would never like the script would not pass. It would just. <laughs> it was. It's just. It's got. It's so. It's essentially an '80s ski movie. Like that's what it, it winds up being. But 
John Cusack is a guy whose girlfriend breaks up with him. And for the majority of the movie, he is trying to unsuccessfully commit suicide. Good Lord. In high school. Like he's like, he's serious. Like he's trying to set himself on fire and like all this weird stuff. Like he does it and somebody else gets hurt. Nobody dies, but like, he's trying to commit suicide because he's so bummed out. And there's all these little random things like, Curtis Armstrong from Revenge of the Nerds is his buddy and like can't afford real drugs. So he like snorts jello, like <laughs> random, weird, wacky stuff. Like he gets in a race, like there's these two. Um, one of them is the bad guy chosen from Karate Kid 2, but there's these two Japanese guys that live in his town in Colorado there. And every day they want to race him, they drag race him, and they learn to speak English by watching Howard Cosell. So like the guy's doing like a Howard Cosell impression um, from wild world of sports. It's so random. It's so weird. And it's, I mean, like, again, it's a movie that makes you laugh about this guy, a teenager trying to commit suicide, which again is not at all a funny premise, but in 1987, it works. And absolutely like, would not fly, but there, there been... there's a, like a whole <laughs> ski villain thing where he's got to do like a, you know like a ski off at the end of the, i mean it's i mean it's not like again but the movie is really funny the jokes are really funny um you know he the uh it's it's just, written and directed by a guy this is all you need to know about this movie written by a guy named savage steve holland wow <laughs> yeah but it's and uh this movie is not streaming anywhere that i can tell like not even like for money 1985 so. Yeah, this see again, the- it's it's probably like it's probably been canceled, you know. <laughs> like it's I mean, it's like it's in two that like in 2021, like it's one of those things that would never happen, but you have to kind of like again, you put that out of your mind and you just <laughs> it's just you know, like it's again like if a guy if I went to the if the four of us went to the studio right now, we said, Listen, we've got this great idea for a movie. <laughs> listen, listen, guy, you're gonna want to hear this. <laughs> hear this. It's you're hilarious. Like, hear you're this. not doing comedies anymore. It's about a teenager who wants to kill himself. He can't do it because he's an but, act. But, but it's funny. <laughs> but it's funny. Like he doesn't, you know. He he, he doesn't really, but huh. yeah, he like he 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 kind of he kind of skis his way out of depression, you know, like <laughs> like he you know, like it just Oh, that, but it's yeah i like i do like I, it's not streaming anyway man you might have to like i might have to like just buy three out of print dvds for you guys express <laughs> mail i'm in somebody oh, trying to get rid of that dvd on ebay for years <laughs> god damn it i will give it away for a dollar you can't even find that in the walmart bargain bin thing that you do no, Next. absolutely not. But I, I have to find this movie and watch it now. Like, I yeah. need to know that this exists. Uh, another movie that I was gonna that I was gonna take it, a movie that nobody saw, but it's by Bobcat Goldthwait, and it's one of the last Robin Williams movies that's um, that's actually good. Uh, was World's Greatest Dad? It is not to spoil it for me because it happens in the first few minutes. It's a struggling writer who's a high school teacher. Uh, whose son hates him, uh, but he writes a memoir for his son after his son dies of autoerotic asphyxiation, and it is so dark. <laughs> but it what? is it one, of, yeah, it's one of the better Robin Williams performances that I think I've ever seen since like Goodwill Hunting. It is go watch it. It's world's greatest dad. Uh, so that was one of them. 
of course, uh, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, Serious Man is on this list, another Coen Brothers film. Uh, I guess if you want to, is No Country for Old Men? No, that's not even a comedy. I don't uh, even think. I would nah. not consider that a dark comedy. No, nah. I, um, I would, I would throw Bad Santa in there as a as a dark comedy. Yeah, I Bad Santa like, is awesome. Yeah, Bad Santa is awesome. You know, shit happens um, when you party naked. Yeah, my, my uh, brother lost an eye fighting you fuckers in Vietnam. You know, kind of. <laughs> the uh, another one, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, The Lobster, a movie that Great I film. saw at the New York Film Festival, New York Film Festival, and did not understand it at all as a 19 year old. I was like, "Yeah, I got Great. tickets to this. I'll go see it." Great didn't film. understand that shit at all, but it is it is really really good. Um, any more that y'all have off the top of your head before we uh, before we get. Another t- this has game night. I don't know. I think game night's like a straight up comedy. Yeah. Uh, well, dark things happen. There is literally a shootout, but it turns out to be fake. But then it's kind of uh, you know. But no, I don't think I would consider that a dark comedy. I don't see how that's profitable for Frito Lay. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to do an episode about that movie, man. It's come up so often. It keeps going. It's so good. I mean, you you mentioned you mentioned Fight Club earlier. Fight Club is a comedy. I mean, it's mm. you know. It's a comedy, you know. It's it's heavy in parts, but like, you know, it's it's a comedy. Um, you know, nobody said Doctor Strange Love, which is about nuclear war. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. You know, so um, I said Jojo Rabbit. Oh yeah, actually, yeah, I love yeah. Jojo Rabbit. I didn't Jojo- say Jojo Rabbit because I hate it, but I'm the other people. Oh, oh. oh man, TJ. Oh, I did oh. not like it. You can't like yeah i thought it was i thought it was, i thought it was awesome i don't know like i love like, taika I, know some... I just didn't get into it but i love taika so I'm, i'll get i'm gonna give him more chances yeah um but yeah um have you guys ever seen the movie here's another one from my era very bad things it's a peter berg movie about no. these guys in vegas like jeremy piven and like chris christian slater's in it and they're at a bachelor party in vegas and like one of the guys banging a stripper and she hits her head on the like a like a like a door like a like a, a towel hook on the door in the hotel Good room. Lord. Yeah. No. And they've got to cover up the murder. It's man. It just, and it gets like, keeps getting worse. Like everything keeps getting worse and worse. And, you know, and of course, what is it uh, called? very bad things. And of course, uh, the great dictator, which was uh, the original dark comedy where uh, Charlie Chaplin plays Hitler. So <laughs> there's that. Uh, but this is how we're going to start ending every episode. I'm kind of surprising with you because I know you're good at comedy, Paul, but uh, what is your one hot movie take? We need, we're one take pod. We need your one hot movie take, whether it's a movie you hate, a movie you love, a movie you despise, any, what are a filmmaker, actor, give us your hottest movie film industry take. We'll give you some time. I'll edit around it if you have to, but it's some time to uh, think about it if you need to. Um, you know, uh, I'll tell you this. And I, like, I real like, I realize that she, this is probably my hottest movie take. I realize yes. that she can play almost anything, oh, but no. I don't get oh, Meryl no. Streep. No! Yes! no! Yes! Oh my God. Fuck yeah! <laughs> I, oh I my God. Was, not again. I, I like, knew where you were going. I get like, I get like, not there again. are things. There are things that she's in that I love that I've like, yes. she's great and all that's fine. But like she has, um, I'll tell you this, here's another hot take that I will, I will say that has nothing to do with Oh no, necessarily with movies, 
but um and i realize that she is also talented but i believe she's the second most talented person in her own marriage and that is that beyonce's not really that no. great Oh no! All right, shut this podcast fucking down right now. Y'all are gonna get us canceled. Shut this down right now. Here's the deal: we are never doing this again. Beyonce, Beyonce. Oh my god! Beyonce is super talented, and she can sing, and she's wonderful, and all that. Stop right there! Don't say any other words. That's all you need to say. That's the end of the sentence. But, But listen, she's never fucking cured cancer, and every time she does something, people are like, "Oh, that's it." That's it. Beyonce solved it. This is the worst take that's ever been taken on this podcast. And I'll tell you this. this. Yes, Uh, this is terrible. I'm I'm a huge, like, I'm a huge Favreau fan. I love John Favreau, but and like, there were problems with the Lion King movie, like the facial expressions of the lions. They don't really emote, but uh, even had they emoted, Beyonce fucked that movie to the wall. (laughs) That's That's fair. No, she did not. Uh, yeah, he did yeah uh, and like did it's a just, perfectly fine job she i will say the one thing about beyonce the one thing about beyonce is that she's not a good actress look i mean look austin exactly. powers 3 is not a good movie i'm not gonna pretend like it's citizen kane it but wasn't again, her fault no but she's not like i mean she's she she like reads like I'm surprised that like cue card guy isn't standing right next to her and we don't have like blooper scenes like, oh, you can see his fucking hand in the cue card <laughs> oh, right there because she's reading her lines all the time. God I, damn. I, I, I almost I put on. Beyonce in the uh, Lady Gaga movie. They almost okay. put Beyonce in all it. Right, and look, I, and I, I will like, say I'm happy they went with Gaga. I will say that. Yeah, I, will yeah. Say I, that. I, I, was, I was at the Super Bowl in New Orleans at Radio Row and uh, there's two, this has happened two, two times to me. Uh, in Indianapolis, I'm at the Super Bowl, and that was when they used to bring the halftime guest into Radio Row. And it was because they wanted everybody reacting, like, oh, shit, it's the whoever, you know? So Madonna walked right in front of me. Mm. And, and, and and here's the deal. The first thing I thought was like, oh, I when I was younger, I remember thinking she was hot. And I was like, fuck me. God, what'd you do? Like, <laughs> like that was my reaction to her. It was like, geez, too much plastic surgery. And then when Beyonce came in the room in New Orleans, like it was pretty cool. Like I, I'm not gonna admit, but like that's when my like I like I was like, are people too excited about her? Like, just like she's not I'm, doing. Like, you Beyonce was in your presence, and your thought <laughs> was maybe we're making too big of a deal of her. You I, could smell her. She was, she was, she was in six your feet presence. Away from me. She was six <laughs> feet away. She was six feet away. How was, like, was that the thought going through your head when she's in your presence? I would have been on the floor thinking, God, uh, that I got the opportunity. Yeah, and look, here's the deal. Like, I, be like close I said, to like, Beyonce. Listen, like I, I, I rock with Jay Z back to, back to the first lyric he ever rapped. And so, you know, I like, you know, I, I, I but he's I not like, just Jay Z's wife. She is a. I know queen that. I know that. Like, but I just like it's kind of the the hype around her that I call it's like. I feel like she's been kind of Tebowed by the world in that, like, there's so much oh hype God. around them that, like, we don't ask the question of, like, are they really that big of a deal? Like, because that's because Tebow was untalented. Yeah. Beyonce I mean, yeah. is talented. Tebow is very untalented. That's not, right. that's horrible. Let me rein this back in. Let me rein yeah. this back in. Oh, no, we're not going. We have to cancel this segment point. for the no, rest holy, of the Holy shit. We're going to get canceled look, for this like, shit. I'd like, I think she's like, I think she's great in a lot of things. Like there's stuff I like, but she's the greatest, you know, she's the goat, but eh, 
I'm going to tweet a disclaimer that says there might be Beyonce slander on this uh, episode of the podcast, but please be warned that I did not participate in it because I, I, I love just, Beyonce. She is a queen. Uh, yeah, I just don't get all like your reaction. I don't understand. And you're totally justified in having it. I don't understand. I don't get it. There's one in it. there's one out there. There's so always someone. But to to go back to the street take. No, uh, don't I, do this. No, that please. is bad too. I <laughs> fully <laughs> support this. I fully support this take. Well, she like when she's great, she's great. Yes. But nobody nobody gives it like and that's the thing probably the same thing about Beyonce. Like when she's great, she's great. But when she's average, nobody has the balls to tell like that's not your best shit. That's nope. not your best shit. Like, that's the thing I don't, but that bothers me about them both is that, like, when they're great, they're great. Holy cow. That's just life changing stuff that they've done. But then when they're average, nobody's been like, you know what? Like, but like, you know, Tom Cruise does a shitty movie and I know he's crazy, but like, everybody will be like, ah, it sucks. We knew he was crazy. But if like, Tom Meryl Streep has like, been doing this for 50 years. Maybe we have another conversation. <laughs> yeah. So. But no, Meryl Streep has been doing this twice as long as I've been alive. Like, no, I'm not going to be like, eh, you kind of suck now. Like, no. Not just not now, but like, the thing is like, okay, Denzel Washington, when he like, the little things, I'll tell you, is a hot piece of crap. That movie stinks. They didn't stinks. even bother to watch it. it it's a hot, like, people just, were very down on it. Like, it's set up sucked. as this like, big cat and mouse crime thriller of, you know, it's got three best actor winners, I guess, two best actors and a best supporting actor in it. It's like, those are the leads. And it's boring and aimless and nothing. And Denzel, it was he was not very good in it. He personally was not very good in it. I saw Denzel on Broadway in the Iceman Cometh, and I watched that dude for four hours, and it was unfreaking believable. But this was not his best stuff. Any movie where he's run on top of a train, not his best stuff. If Meryl <laughs> Streep, when she does stuff that's kind of like average, like well, that's you know, Meryl. That's just Meryl. Yeah, I mean, like she gets the benefit of the doubt when, like, you look. You should be able to call her out. Like Beyonce's great stuff is great, but like when she does stuff, like again, "Say My Name" was her first big hit. That song sucks ass. Wow! <laughs> All right, shut All this right. podcast wow. down. We're done. Please We're end done. the pod. This is ridiculous. <laughs> wow, Paul. I mean, it's Bro, not like wow. you put an hey, shut no, down the podcast. Can we mute Paul's mic, please? You're gonna get us canceled. This Lemonade's is an Say my name. Eh. <laughs> All right. Holy shit. <laughs> opinions of one take podcasts are not the opinions of the one take podcast. <laughs> Just say so opinions of one take podcasts. This podcast is a pro Beyonce podcast. Please understand that. Thank Good you. Good Lord. Paul I'm Catalina. not anti Beyonce. I'm meh Beyonce. Paul oh, Catalina with the hottest of one takes. Jesus. Well, I that segment when, died immediately. That segment is dead. Now. Nah, that's got to stay. When Marcus said that Mad Max Fury Road was trash, I was like, okay, this is like peak hot take. Like, we're done. We can't outdo it. And then Paul outdid it twice. Like, back to back. <laughs> everything from here is just fucking down, but we got to keep this segment. We got to keep Jesus. this segment going. Holy shit. I'm crying. Oh my God. Okay. So that has been a one take podcast with uh, Paul Catalina. Paul, holy shit. Where can they find your just non Beyonce content? <laughs> yeah. Non Beyonce <laughs> content. Uh, Stickum365.com. All of our stuff uh, every single day on Twitter at Paul Catalina. I also host Believe in the Cowboys podcast. I've got a new one I'm about to 
to post up here in a second. So uh, you can follow me at Paul Catalina <laughs> on Twitter, Paul Catalina 56 on Instagram. Although I don't understand that medium, which is probably why I'm not really that big into Beyonce either. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, yeah, you know, I'll look, I like, I'm not backing off my Beyonce hot take. I know under, understand I made you really uncomfortable, but again, like oh. just, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, uh, I'm gonna. This is the clip we're posting online, oh, by the way. No. Yeah, All right, oh I'm not like you guys will come out Please, smelling like a no, rose. No, guys, I love Beyonce. Do not, you guys, you guys will come out views. smelling like a rose. You know, we are beehive boys on this podcast. <laughs> <Beehive>. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> yeah, I, got- do, I do think, I do think Beyonce fucked the Lion King to the wall should be emblazoned. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> be a, be a, be I'm the, not blaming Beyonce for the shortcomings of that personal. I mean, film. she's not, not the only one, but like, I like her first line is Nala just was like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you were looking for something. You were looking for something to no, like. Ah. like I even, I, here's the thing: I had forgotten that she was even in it. You know, like, and then I was like, man, who is Nala? This is she's oh, she's not geez. even and then i'd like you know i'll pull up imdb i'm like hey beyonce's wrecking this thing like, you need to channel some dream girls for this please stop all right that has been a one take podcast you can find us at one take pod on twitter one take pod on instagram you can find us wherever you find your podcast please go leave us uh, a five-star review or like whatever review after hearing this one take that you feel like um <laughs> Please don't, please don't cancel us. Actually, we've come after Taylor Swift fans on this, so like, I, I don't know. Fuck Taylor Swift. Well, thank you. Agreed. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm we'll not be worried canceled. about them. I'm not worried about them canceling us. I'm I mean, they've come after Dex. They've come after Dex, though. But the he's still uh, strong as he should have. <laughs> there, you can find us wherever you uh, find your podcast. But please go rate us five stars. Leave us a review on Apple. Uh, follow us on Spotify as well. Dex, where can they get the dopest Houston sports merchandise? Please. All you got to do is start to follow media on Twitter, follow them, and you'll get alerted every single time they drop new shit. Go to ApolloHAU.com and you can buy all their new shit for 10% off with promo code OneTakePod, O-N-E-T-A-K-E-P-O-D. The dopest Houston shit you'll ever see in your life. Just go buy it. It's, it's fire. It's free real estate. No, so you can uh, you can find that at uh, Apollo Media, ApolloHOU.com. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for downloading, subscribing. We really appreciate it. One more time, Dex, what are we doing? Hashtag support Florence Pugh. The MCP is coming July 9th. Go see Black Widow in a theater or buy it on Disney+. Plus. Whatever you got to do, support Florence Pugh. Next episode, we are doing a Cruella review from Disney+. Plus. So go ahead, catch up on that. Watch that really quickly. Thank you so much again for listening. We're out.